Okay, welcome back to Jaffe Woodwinds. Uh, today, I'm privileged to have one of the world's greatest flute players and also greatest flute educators with us, a, a gentleman who uh, has gained worldwide recognition as a great player, uh, having played 20 years with the London Symphony and five years with the London Philharmonia as their uh, principal flutist. And over these last 20 years, let's say since the millennium, uh, has also become uh, incredibly influential in the uh, teaching of flute through the world and teaching uh, uh, through Zoom and making use of uh, contemporary uh, techniques through his publications, which are set up right behind me. Uh, and I'm talking about none other than the great Paul Edmund Davies. And Paul, thank you for joining me today and being willing to share your uh, knowledge and expertise with uh, the community that checks out my site and also those who will just see it on YouTube as well. So thank you for taking the time to do that today. I'm incredibly happy to be here, all, <laughs> all the way from England. All the way, yes. And uh, it's a little after 11 a.m. in the morning here. And of course, we're heading towards the evening in uh, England, as we can see. But um, uh, I wanted to address several issues with you uh, in our interview. I've been as I've expressed to you personally, uh, incredibly influenced by your publications and, and really uh, had known about them for a while. I've known about you for many years. I even have, here's one of the early CDs of your uh, recording that, you, As you can tell, as you can see, that, that happened a long time ago. <laughs> I've, I've got dark hair there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, you know, you've been uh, very instrumental in moving the flute world into a different realm with regard to one's practice routines and approach to it through your publications and through the many um, YouTube uh, bits that you've uh, put out and explaining things. And of course, you've been active as a clinician throughout the world. And that's where I first heard you uh, almost a year ago. Um, the New York Flute Center had set up a, uh, a Zoom interview and and uh with you and you talked about things and i i was totally blown away and so for the basically the last year of, of this pandemic it's been the major focus of my flute practicing and has uh, awakened a lot of uh thoughts about playing the flute and how to address things that i've always dealt with as problems and now hopefully i'm on the way to solving <laughs> so thank right. you um but I wanted to get back uh, into your uh, situation a little bit. First, let's talk a little bit about your early career uh, as a flutist and then as a principal flutist. So uh, I, I know from reading and hearing you uh, being interviewed prior that you began flute at a rather early age. And one of your early teachers, or maybe the first teacher, was the great Trevor Y. I mean, how fortunate is that to have a, a world-class uh, player and teacher as one of your early instructors? Uh, so well, you, I, I, yeah. So, so the story of how it all started for me was that the the first thing I think the, the key thing about this was you know I blame my parents for having been <laughs> brought into the world in the first place, but my father was a Church of England clergyman, and uh, it meant that he got special dispensation to send me to a choir school, and I went to Canterbury Cathedral Choir School in Kent, which is actually quite close to where we are here. Um, and uh, he got a huge reduction in the fees because it was a boarding school. I see. But if I went there at the age of seven, and by the age of nine, we all had to pick an instrument to play. At the age of seven, I started with piano lessons. and I, I was never very good at piano. 
And I, I regret having given it up many years ago because I think everyone should stay in touch with the keyboard. Yes. But uh, I, I started piano at seven. And the extra part of this story, which was, the, which was pivotal for me picking up the flute, was the fact that when I was seven years old, my aunt emigrated from the United Kingdom to Australia on what was called the 10 pound ticket. And the Australian government was wanting to import people from the United Kingdom. And they basically were, they, the 10 pound ticket paid for them to go on a, a, a cruise liner all the way from England to Australia. It took six weeks wow. at the time. <laughs> but they, the deal was they could only take what they could carry with them. They couldn't send stuff on in advance. Right, right, right. So they literally went with the suitcase. Now she was a, a very enthusiast violinist and she had a violin that she uh, bequeathed to myself. So logically it would have made much more sense if I'd taken up the violin because I had the instrument in my hands. The problem with it is we've all heard a seven-year-old try to play the violin <laughs> yeah. and, and sort of evil thoughts descend upon those listening as you hear this sort of cat being scratched in the background. Right, and, and so it comes off the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I was no different. I was really bad at it, but more to the point, I hated it. Now, of course, now with the benefit of hindsight, it is a gorgeous instrument and those who can play it well, who can make it sing, which is kind of what we all need to do, but it doesn't matter what we're scraping or blowing, we've got to try and make the things, you know, sing as, to, as right. much as possible. Um, so I, over two years, I systematically broke down this violin. And uh, at the age of nine, uh, with this thing literally in bits, my parents said, well, you've got to now pick up a second instrument you know, as well as the piano. So you clearly don't like the violin. What do you want to play? And I'd heard one of the older boys at school play the flute. And I just love the sound. You know, it, it wasn't so much the fact that he was playing it. I was just, whenever I heard this sound, I thought, Joe, you know, there's something special about that. There's something that, that, that sort of connected with me. Right. Um, so that's it. I, it was the flute from the age of nine. It was Trevor Y because he just happened to be the local flute teacher. <laughs> he hadn't he, he hadn't even considered writing any books at that stage. Right. And he he was a freelance flute player. And one of his teaching jobs was at, at Canterbury Cathedral uh, Choir School, which is where I was attending. Incredible. So. I, I was incredibly fortunate to have that level of teaching yeah. from you know, uh, an early age. Now, uh, and, 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 also, of, and also I have to add, just hearing him play the flute, because the early impressions of an instrument and how it's played really do, I, I believe, uh, affect one greatly. And so just having you know, a great sound, a great player's sound in your ear right from the beginning. That's a wonderful story. Well, you, you, you've, hit, you've hit on something that I was going to get round to anyway later on, but I think is so important to teaching. And I, I feel that in certain ways we've lost it a little bit, but if you look back at a lot of the 19th century uh, teaching repertoire, 
so much of it. You've got in in um, in Italy, you've got Curler. In France, you've got Altes, and um, you know they're very much along the lines of you. Know, if you, you you look at their their publications, so many of them are two lines, which is pupil and teacher. Yes. And, and that's exactly what you're homing in on, to actually be, be able to hear. But it's not just hearing someone demonstrate, it's hearing them simultaneously at the same time that you're playing, which, is, which takes up, a, I believe, a very different part of the brain. And it also introduces harmony, which of course, as we all know, on single line instruments, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're lost. The only time we get it is if, you, if you're playing something with a piano. And then for most single line players, it's such a shock, they don't know what to do with it. <laughs> it's true. And it's true. And, and I know that was a mainstay of the Paris Conservatory from the 19th century on. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, for, and for all the instruments. Yes. You know, and it, it kind of makes sense. And, and I'm curious as to why it sort of went out of fashion. It's, it's well, an interesting, it'll be someone's thesis at some stage. Well, perhaps a lot of the, I, I know this also from clarinet uh, pedagogy, that uh, many of these uh, books that were written, many of these duets that were incorporated as main focuses of these pedagogical texts were written by players of the instrument, active players. Yeah. And uh, and uh, it wasn't thought that a player who was in their prime and active could not teach. Today, I don't think you see, uh, and certainly the, the active players don't teach as much. Maybe they have a couple of students here and there, but uh, I, I think that was you know a mainstay of them earning their living uh, because yeah. it was not great uh, throughout 19th century uh, uh, orchestrals, orchestras sure. in major cities. Uh, maybe there's something there, but certainly the great players, uh, you know, didn't just play, they also literally wrote and it wasn't, and in the 20th century, it becomes more that you see a lot of great players as editors of, uh, yeah. of composers. And that's what's I think so great about your books is that here you are, you're still a mainstay in the London recording scene, active and writing and creating on a weekly basis for your website and for all of us who are members of that uh, to our advantage. Um, but maybe there's something there to, in that regard. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I, I think that you, you know, I, I, following on from what you've just said, I think you, you, you've hit on, I think, a very interesting point you know you 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 say that the the, the exercises and material that i post on the website you know, on a weekly basis but all i'm doing is i'm i'm echoing everyone everyone's problems including my own and that 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 you know i that i suddenly realized the first book the the middle book behind you the 28 day warm up book that came about literally because I, you know, even though I was well taught, and so this isn't, you know, I'm, I'm not criticizing my my education, but there is when you're learning an instrument, there's so much to absorb that you know, and there's there, there kind of isn't enough time to do it. But I, I I suddenly realized, even though I'd been successful in getting you know good jobs, uh, there there were areas of my technique that I just wasn't comfortable with. 
And when I put the book together, I mean, the reason the book has been successful is because they're everyone else's problems as well. Sure. We've all got this. We've all got the same problems, right. be it breathing, be it fingers, yeah. be it articulation, being it you know sort of control across three range, three octave range of the instrument. We've all got the same problems to address. Some people manage them better than others, but they're all they've all got to be worked on. Yes, um, and that that's something I think that uh, I, I I'm. You know, the fact that the Red Book has sold so well is terribly reassuring for me because it made me realize I wasn't alone with the, the, the things I couldn't do so well. Right. And, and, and you know, I, I'm sort of a, I guess you might say a woodwind nerd. And, and I thought I had all of the books. My wife actually had this book out. And for a long time, I thought, I have enough books. I, you know, I've got all the Moyes books. I've got Tafanel Gobert, I've got Marquois, you know, all the Anderson studies, Curla. I mean, I have, you know, the whole deal. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I, so one day it was up and on the stand and I played a few of these uh, of the finger exercises. And yeah, I realized, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't have this together. I thought I had it together. No, I did not. And uh, it's funny, the, isn't it? Because we're all we're all used to going so far. But it's that final bit that's the important part of it. Well, and, and yeah, also, so like I, right, right. Also, yeah, I talk. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, yeah, I talk about long fingering B flat yes. on the flute. Now, of course, the thumb B flat is is great because it makes our lives so much easier. Right. But it also makes us lazier. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, it's that thing that, that you know, of course you're going to use that, but but when you're actually in, if you, if you like, sort of the heat of battle of a performance, you know, you might, you might suddenly, you'll, you'll have something you'll go on in here that will say, gee, I'm going to do something a bit different today, but you're not quite sure what it is. And that's when you need, you know, digital confidence. Right, right. An old, t an old teacher of mine said, when the red light goes off in the studio, and you, and the tape is running in those days. The tape, um, yeah, you know that's when all the truth comes out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and and I think one, you know, we've got to be. And again, I I think actually what's increasingly noticeable from my studio work is that so many people now are writing on computer and using samples, and they'll put they'll they'll put things on the instrument that don't really work very well. Because it works okay on a sample. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing only because, as we've talked earlier, uh, I'm doing a show and uh, and yeah, and some of the stuff that you're asked to play these days, um, it, it it look it's almost unmanageable. You yeah. find a way to yeah, you yeah. find a way to do it to negotiate it, but it doesn't lie in a way that no. you smile. <laughs> no, no, no. So it becomes it becomes a burden then rather than yes. you know something enjoyable. But even more reason, therefore, because what we're going to what we are experiencing now, what we're going to experience in music written for whatever medium, is not likely to be written uh, that in a way that's going to fall so easily. Not everything is going to be in uh, C major or F major or on the flute, maybe uh, G major or so forth. No, it's it's not going to be there. So we're going to have to have all of the uh, fingers working as best we can 
Um, yeah. Like, and as you've uh, explained in your books and, 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 and you do on a, like I say, a weekly basis on the website. Um, let me just jump back a little bit. So Trevor Y was there early on. <clears throat> and then was there any, were there any other major teachers in between that point and when you started working uh, as a principal flutist? Not really. I mean, because, you know, I, Trevor, I was in Canterbury. I was in Canterbury. Um, it was very clear that he was a good teacher and I was a diligent pupil. So we stayed together. I, I, I went to um, the Cathedral Choir School in Canterbury. Then after that, I went to the King's School, also in Canterbury, which and both of these schools are within the precincts of Canterbury Cathedral itself. So, you know, a, a very sort of um, historical place to have one's education. Did I appreciate it at the time? Probably not. But, you know, it's it, it's steeped in history, that, that, that whole area. So, you know, good from that point of view. And then I went on to the Guildhall School of Music uh, in London, which again, Trevor I was the teacher. Uh, it was a three-year course. I stayed with him for three years. At the end of that, I, I did a, a, a competition and got some money to go and have lessons with William Bennett. And I think I maybe had four lessons with him. And for me, that was the time to make that change. Because what, the, what, what he, you know, Trevor was very good about the skills required to play the flute. And William Bennett was much more about how to apply those skills to the music you play. Um, and, uh, and and that's that at that stage of my life, that's what I needed. And it was it was kind of a you know a, a door that was just ajar was suddenly fully open. Um, and from that, you know, I then sort of got got into the in, in basically into the business from there as a freelance player to start with. Right. And during these developing years. Uh, who were the flute players other than your teacher or, and, and William Bennett, of course, uh, that you were listening to? Who were the uh, people who were influencing you in regard to the, the sound of the flute, the approach to the flute, even a career in flute? I, I think the, the only person that was, I, I've never been particularly good at listening to other flute players. Um, I, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sort of, it doesn't interest me in a, in a sense. Um, but when I was younger, very swiftly, uh, Jean-Pierre Rampal became my, my hero. I loved what, what he was doing and I loved, uh, I loved his versatility. Uh, I, I, I think that he could do very special, musically special things on the instrument. Uh, so he was the only one, the only person that, that sort of really uh, in the flute world, you know, lit me up. But having said that, I'll, I'll never forget um, when the, the first time I listened to Stravinsky's Rite of Spring was when I was 13 years old. And that blew my, my you know, that, I mean, I was just, I think much to the annoyance of my parents, it was, you know, it was a, an LP that got wound down every day for several months um that i played at home and and uh you know as loud as possible as well because it was just it's such a sort of sort of gutsy driving music and then after that uh, it was uh, uh david bowie i'm afraid wow. uh so so I, I was a huge fan of his from the age of 15 
And then uh, you mentioned them earlier. I was a massive Emerson, Lake and Palmer uh, fan. Uh, and, and so I, I've always had a fairly um, uh, eclectic um, sort of taste in music. And you know, last night I was listening to Ben Webster. The ballad king of all time. And, and yeah, all, exactly. And, but also really a master. Uh, we think of him as a ballad master, which he was, but he could really play up tempos too. And he was yeah, yeah. Just fantastic. Going back to your eclectic uh, uh, love of music, uh, how, do you, how has that influenced your playing? Do you feel it's influenced your approach to orchestral flute playing uh, or work in the studio? Certainly it must have aided that. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure it has to a degree. I mean, you know, uh, uh, I'm not a natural improviser, which I would love to be. Um, I, you know, I do uh, you know, virtually all my practices from memory but I'm not an improviser, you know, which, which is something I, I, I kind of think that if I'd, if I'd sort of had a, a sort of change of direction early on in my life, I could have gone down the jazz path because, you know, I, I love it. I, you know, uh, I'm, uh, there's a, a group that's, that I, I follow called Snarky Puppy. And I don't know oh, if, yeah. you, if you're, yeah, you know them over there. And the keyboard player in that, Bill Lawrence. Yes. Um, you know, I love what he does. I love Pat Matheny. That's another, uh, another sort of, you know, you wouldn't call him hardcore jazz, but it's sort of kind of that, that fusion music. Well, he, uh, could, he really can play anything, Pat Matheny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he... he he did, I think he did a four, four guitar CD recently, and that that that's that that takes you close to the edge, I think, on, at times. Yeah. Um, but uh, but but I I've always you know I've always enjoyed the freedom. I, I think that's the way I describe it. You know, classical music. Um, you know, if you go down the symphonic path, you're actually quite restricted in the end. And of course, as a flute player the best music that was written for the instrument happens to be in the symphonic repertoire or the best composers are in the symphonic repertoire. There is no concerto by Brahms, you know? So, uh, and, 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 you know, if anyone was to try and take, you know, a, the, the, the Brahms fiddle concerto and put it on a flute, it would be a sad day. So probably someone's already done that now, but it, it's, it's one of those things that, that's, um, and of course, the other thing, and I, I don't mean this in um, a bad way, but if you're in a symphony orchestra, you, there, there are so many compromises going on around you. First of all, that there's potentially, if it's a Mahler symphony, it could be more than 100 people on the platform. So therefore, there has to be a degree of compromise for that group of 100 people to be able to function as a unit. Um, you've got what's going on in your immediate vicinity within the woodwind section. And of course, how you hear in the center of a woodwind section is totally different to how you hear the orchestra in the auditorium. Yes. So you've got, you've got to deal with what's going on immediately in, in your group. And then there's this person at the front uh, who's conducting. And I've worked with some amazing conductors. I loved working with Claudio Abado. I recorded Daphnis and Chloe with Claudio Abado and the London Symphony Orchestra. And I'll never, I'll never forget that. I mean, it was just, he knew how to texturize or texturalize 
uh, an orchestra. He knew how to balance sections so that so that you you know by 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 getting the the, the blend right between say uh, you know, the horns and the trumpets, you know a third instrument was created. And I I love that when conductors have got those kind of boules was like that as well. You know, he he was just you know phenomenal to work. Um, I played concerti. I played Halil by Leonard Bernstein five times with him conducting. I recorded Candide uh, with for Deutsche Grammophon with with Bernstein conducting. You know, those were great experiences for me. Now, of course. For, for every person that says that conductor's a genius, there's someone else who comes. I said, I can't stand the guy. <laughs> um, but, but and of course, as as I have got older, the ones that you look up to when you're younger, they start dying. Right. And of course, now and you know, Bernard Heiting died. You know, quite recently, a couple of months ago. Not even that. And I loved it. I mean, to play a Brahms symphony with him. You know, for example. He, the second that he arrived with the London Symphony Orchestra uh, for a Brahms symphony, he'd say now, okay, brass section, brass and horns, you know, what we want to do here, we want to create a round sound. We don't want a directional harsh sound. We just want something that's like a cushion or a pillow of sound. And, and you know, when, when conductors are genuine about the music, they can be phenomenal. And I, you know, I mentioned a, a few of them there, and I loved working with those people. When they're not so interesting, it really can be. It can be not not a, not a wonderful experience. A tour de force. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I uh, one of my teachers, my main saxophone and clarinet teacher, Joe Allard, uh, uh, was a member of the 
uh, NBC Symphony with Toscanini for the last yeah. seven or eight years of Toscanini's uh, career. And he told me that he learned more about music uh, in those years under Toscanini than he had in all the years prior studying with uh, the multitude of wonderful uh, players and teachers that he worked with. He said he, it was a learning experience at every moment, every rehearsal, uh, you know, he learned something. He, he, he said he never regretted it, even though he would sometimes stay up to three, four, five in the morning trying to get a read ready for the next morning's rehearsal because they were so scared of the old man, as he would call him. Right. Uh, but that he said everyone recognized that they were learning more about music than they could have ever imagined. So that's a great conductor, you know, yeah. Yeah. It, that is so fortunate to be in those positions with so many of those great artists and I'm certainly that that influenced you for the rest of your life. Yeah, I, I know and those yes those those experiences they don't die. You know, they they, they do stay with you and uh, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, as I say, you know, there, there are multiple compromises involved when you when you're sitting in a symphony orchestra, but I mean, you know, it's a, it's a team effort. And it's the team that produces the results. As we as we've alluded to, you you do have done and continue to do a lot of recording, studio work, recording um, of the highest sort. What are the differences you found from playing a principal flute in major orchestra and then going into a studio playing principal flute on on soundtracks? Do you find uh, your preparation any different, or the stress level difference? Uh, is there, or do you find no difference? I, th I think there is a difference. I mean, I, I think the the um, you know if if you're if you're playing uh, a, a concert with a symphony orchestra, you know you you know well the bottom line is we all want to be as bulletproof as possible, and so so you know when when you're when you're skating on thin ice, you don't want it to crack too much. So you know uh, I I've, I've always found this slightly strange because. You know, if uh, I, I mean, there, there, there is an old uh, uh, an old joke about you know, musicians making mistakes. Uh, you know, musicians are not allowed to make mistakes. Now, because I, I say to my students, I said, have you ever seen you know, an international tennis match where one of the players hasn't made a mistake? Right. And well, well, no. So why is it that that musicians aren't no, of course, no one wants to make mistakes, but making mistakes is a part of the, the whole thing of being a human being. Right. And you know, you of course you want to go out, you want to play to your best. And but well, but the musicians will really beat themselves up if they play a bum note. Right. You know. And, and if and, they don't and, beat themselves up, the conductor does it for them. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, someone, someone, yeah, there'll be a glare, won't there? Right, right. <laughs> That's true. Um, yes, you're only as good as your last note. Um, so it, 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 it's a it's a curious thing. I suppose that what I feel with studio work is that you know, if you know, the segments that you're working on tend to be shorter, and if something goes wrong, there's the chance of redoing it. Whereas once. in a concert, <laughs> well, yeah, just the once, yeah. Um, whereas in a concert, that that simply doesn't happen. So you know, it's come and it's gone. Uh, 
is that is that less stressful? I mean, I think you know we we, we alluded to this earlier. I think I think sometimes um, the way you know, uh, you know, scores are written now for commercial purposes, um, uh, the the people writing them don't have as solid an understanding of the idiosyncrasies of the instruments as those people in the past. You know, uh, John Williams, for example, James Horner wrote beautifully for the instruments because he knew, they knew which part of the instrument worked well. Jerry Goldsmith, another one, yes. you know, they, 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 they all, they, they were, apart from being amazing composers, even though they had their teams of orchestrators, they could have orchestrated equally uh, as well themselves, but it's right. just time management. Right. Yeah, there is something there. I wonder how much of it is due also to the change in the way music is being written, where it's, you know, we're using software as opposed to yeah. taking the, the uh, pen or pencil to the paper and putting it down, that maybe even just that process requires one to think a little bit more when you're physically writing it. But also there was a um, there was a history of great orchestration and arrangers and composers uh, and the idea that a composer did not do their own orchestration was unheard of today it's it's almost the case it's a rare thing we yeah. have a composer who's also a great orchestrator and of course those people are at the top of the heap uh, yeah but in any and of course yeah, the, yeah yeah whether the it be in orchestral thing, music I, or in commercial music i see the same parallels uh, yeah I, I you know, the, these days, uh, you know, it, it seems like the, the the music part of a movie or a, or a video game is getting even closer to the, the, the day of distribution. Yeah. So things have to be done incredibly quickly. And I mean, thank goodness for music programs like Dorico, Sibelius or, or, or you know, right. what, what any of those things that, that, that mean that there's sort of an acceptable you know, score can be put together. You know, very rapidly. Yes. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I think that there are there are still great composers out there involved. Um, but but I think you know, uh, it, it's it's changing very rapidly now because uh, you know, composition seems it seems as though it's kind of uh, it, it used to be a, a really very much an art. Uh, I think in, in the earlier days of, of films, and and now it's you know sometimes it's more about effect than it is about the the actual you know, musical message. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's perhaps it's very difficult to have a strong musical message in a in a, a video game that involves just sort of killing every alien that ever existed. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's certainly a different world, and I think you've hit upon some of the. Uh crucial elements of, uh, of change that have occurred and that are existing today. Um, yeah. Uh, before we go into the simplyflute.org, I, I did want to ask you one question because there seems to be, uh, with English flute players of the last 75 years or so, a, and maybe more, a strong influence from the French school of flute playing, uh, and of course Moyes embodies that in, in more recent uh, times, uh, but I know certainly 
William Bennett, as you mentioned, Jimmy Galway, Trevor Y, and of course, Jeffrey Gilbert. Uh, yeah. You know, that strong influence from the French uh, approach uh, from the Paris Conservatory. Um, was that, is, is that something that you have sensed as well during your career and, and, and your studies, uh, and now in certainly your teaching of that strong connection between the French uh, Paris Conservatory School and the English School of Flute Playing? Because I know on certain other wind, wind instruments, I don't hear that as much, but I do hear it on the, in the flutes. Well, I, you know, it, it goes back because the, you know, the, the, the French, uh, well, it was the Bohem system flute that was, you know, created in France by Bohem. Um, and, uh, and then out of that spawned the Tapenel and Gobert. Sorry, that's my 300 year old clock going off. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and from that, the, the um, you, you know, the, 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 the French school of Tapenel and Gobert was was formed well uh, you know at this time within europe there was a strong german school and there was a, a strong italian school i think that the english school it, it it had had some highlights but but wasn't anything like as as cohesive as the the other ones that i mentioned you know france is the closest country to uh, to the united kingdom so yeah, we, there's just you know 17 and a half miles of water that separates us. So it's not surprising that that what was going on in France percolated over into the United Kingdom. And of course, yeah, it 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 is the French school um, uh, is the it's the the largest scale of information to do with flute learning that's I think ever been put together. Uh, the Italian flute school beforehand, in many ways, I found to be more interesting because it was associated with the opera that was going on in the 19th century in Italy. Um, but the, 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 the French flute school was very much about the Bohem system flute. And from that, composers then started uh, you know, writing for the instrument. So I think we're incredibly grateful for the, the French you know, school of flute playing. And yes, it was it was the 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 mantra, if you like. Uh, Trevor Y was totally a disciple of Marcel Moyes, and 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 he got Marcel Moyes to come over and give classes in Canterbury. And I remember as a twelve-year-old going to play to Marcel Moyes, and I played number one of the twenty-four little uh, oh, melodious yeah. uh, melodic uh, uh, um, studies. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, all I was aware of as a 12-year-old was this sort of crumpled ancient <laughs> man sitting in the corner, smoking a pipe. And, you know, I played, and at the end, he just went, non, c'est pas comme ça. And, and, you know, and, and then just, just proceeded to shriek at me. And, of course, as a 12-year-old, all I could think of was... There's a crazy old man in the room. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, I had no concept that this was, you know, the great Marcel Moyes. It was just a sort of weird old man from France. That's funny. Um, so, so it, it's, it's not surprising that it filtered over France, but I, I, from France. And, and I think in the absence of anything that, that, that we could match it with happening in the UK at the time, 
Um, yeah, it, it was just fully embraced. And of course, you know, there's some, some great material in it to, to work with. There's some, some fabulous stuff there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, Jeffrey Gilbert was very instrumental in um, uh, portraying that, uh, certainly in his playing, uh, yeah. where it was a conscious change that he made in his playing uh, after, after encountering Moise, as far as I remember, uh, but certainly the results have been astonishing. Uh, yeah. And uh, it, it just speaks to the uh, validity of that school, of the training, and of the great artists who helped create it uh, from Tathanel and Gobert on up, uh, Barrere and Moise and sure. uh, um, Dufresne. And, I mean, unbelievable. Uh, oh, I'm glad you mentioned Dufresne. I, I, I love his. Uh... I love Dufresne's uh, recordings. I, funny enough, I, I, having moved, I opened a big brown box, a cardboard box, and I found yeah. a, I've got the, the the CDs that he made. Uh, yes. Um, you know, so th they'll be they'll be coming out quite soon again. Yeah, they're, they're really something. And um, uh, uh, I know one of the greatest flute players in our country, one of my heroes, Julius Baker, uh, revered Dufresne. He didn't. I don't think he spoke about it much, but I. I uh, was told uh, from one of my teachers, Tom Knifinger, a very interesting story about that. But that really, uh, Baker was captivated with Dufresne, and uh, yeah, that to me says it all <laughs> because Baker yes. was really something else as well. Um, yes. Let, let's jump with our time remaining into your wonderful website, which is called simplyflute.org. Uh, actually, I've got, to, I've got to correct you. It's simplyflute.com. Oh. It's a not not a dot org. It's a, oh, dot, it's a dot com. com. And of course, <laughs> I, I, you know, here here's the uh, the way things are these days. I hit my one password. I hit the you know uh, the button, and it jumps to your site. So I'm not even looking at the the uh, the bar and and, no. and seeing where the browser what the browser's really reading. So my bad. So simplyflute.com. Okay, <laughs> that's the one. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, First of all, for those uh, who are not members or are not aware of it, can you tell us a little bit? First of all, what it, it costs a little money per year, which is peanuts compared to the amount of information that Paul has made available, which we're going to talk about. So uh, I know in English pounds, it, it, it says 45, something like that per year. What is it? It's, it translates to something what, it's, like what? It's just a, it's around about $60 or less, than, or less than two coffees a month. Exactly. <laughs> two coffees at Starbucks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I said two coffees. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. With your, with inflation and the pandemic now, that's true anywhere. But uh, uh, so it's it's really one of the best websites. I featured it on my website as uh, what I call the link of the month. Uh, but I've been totally captivated with it because I've learned so much from it. Um, and you've set it up in some very uh, with some very interesting categories uh, and you've sort of broken down the practice routine to four very essential areas. Can you talk uh, about those uh, areas? And well, how you again, you know, if you going back to the red book, which I think I, I, I wrote that book in 2007. So it's still it's 14 years old now. Um, but 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 I, I I wasn't aware of this at the time, but I sort of inadvertently broke it down into four sections, and in in and those four sections eventually became the four pillars exercises. 
which is the, if you like, my mantra on the Simply Flute website, that, that if you, there, there are, and I, I say this with my students, I say it doesn't matter how much time you've got in any given day, but if you can do some work in these four sections, not only will you actually maintain your ability, but over a period of time, by sort of gentle repetition of a theme, you will, you know, you, you will you will notice distinct improvements. Right. And I, I mean, you know, I've I've tried this out on myself, and I you know, I I was terribly pleasantly surprised to find it actually works. <laughs> so it 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 seemed to me um, that you know the reason for the site coming together to start with was because. Um, I've always been fascinated by technology. I, I'm not a I'm not a geek in or a nerd, uh, whatever the American equivalent is. One has to be so careful about what one says these days. So if I've offended anyone <laughs> with either of those two words, I apologise profusely. But but you know I've I've been fascinated. I, I'll give you an example. When I was in the London Symphony Orchestra, um, I was heavily involved in a um, a project with the European Space Agency. To, uh, and it was the very, uh, in, in the mid-1990s, it was the, the first satellite live transmissions of musical content that were taking place, only between Spain and the United Kingdom. But, but at the time, it was groundbreaking. And of course, it broke down halfway through and, and, and you know, we, we had to wait whilst you know, things were wound back up again. But I've always I've always thought as a means of communication, and you you know you mentioned earlier about about Zoom. You know, Zoom as it stands at the moment for musicians is far from ideal, but thank goodness with this pandemic that it's been here. And you know, for for example, um, you know, if I, I I I've loved touring and and I you know I, I visit I love coming to the states. I mean, apart from anything else, you have great stakes over there. But uh, I you know I've loved coming to the states. If I go to Boston and give a class, not only have you got all of the the airfares and accommodation and fees, um, you know people people have got lives. Uh, if I go to Boston and give a class, maybe if I'm lucky. I'll get 30 people turning up. If I do a Zoom class, I did one for the Boston, Boston Flute Academy, uh, 353 people were online for two hours. Right. Well, you know, if, if you think of that as a business model, any businessman, he's going to say, well, that's the clear winner. Now, of course, as, you know, a musical experience, it is far from ideal. But if you if I if we think how much technology has developed in the last 20 years, and I see, you know, another reason for, for simplyflute.com was the fact that that I mean, so many people now, all their music is on a tablet or an iPad. Yes. You know, and it, it makes sense if you can carry all that around with you. I mean, like you, I love books. I'm never happy. I've, I've just today. I've been to a Jonathan Mile uh, music shop in London to pick to, to buy some some sheet music, um, and I, I I'm I, I'm of an age where I'm far happier uh, working from a book, right. a physical book that's paper. Yes. 
but 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 the next generation, it doesn't bother them. No, you know, and if it's if it if it's easier for them to do it from with with the use of technology, so that's that's the other thing. Now, um, you'll you'll notice that everything I do on Simply Flute. It's 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 divided into the four categories of the four pillars: breathing and phrasing, finger works, um, articulation, and intervals. It's di divided then into elementary, intermediate, and advanced categories. Right. And within those categories, um, well, in in the if you're in the advanced categories, everything is in all keys. Now, I've I've done a couple of things that have turned up being I don't know. 31 exercise being 31 pages long. Right. Now, it, it would be so impractical to put that into a physical book because as, it would be a book. Done, as you've done in some of those. Well, I, I've done, I, they're not 31 pages long, no, but I no, mean, you know. Quite, but it's long. <laughs> it's long, but I mean, there are seven in that book. So, so at least you've got a, you know, one, one for each day of the week. Exactly. Um, uh, but, but I mean, the, you know, the, the, the whole idea about it is that if you want to play an exercise in a different key, all you've got to do is just go to the relevant page on the PDF. Right. And it, it, you know, it just wouldn't make sense to put something like that in, into a book. But, but I, I just want to comment, um, just from being a player who bridges a lot of different types of music in my career, that uh, in the study of jazz, doesn't matter who you might be studying with or talking to everyone when you're learning a tune you learn it in all the keys i yeah. mean, i think you'd be hard pressed to find a flutist who's let's say playing the mozart d major and they've they played they've transposed it in all the keys or tried to do it it's just not no i mean you you, you, you hit on on such a valid point and yeah. and you know uh, but, but it's because you know we're human beings and as human be be beings if there's an opportunity to find a shortcut, we will. Yes. And, and, and it's like, you, you, uh, do you have the Moyes book, Tone Development Through Interpretation? Absolutely. It's one, yeah. of now, one of the most important publications ever. Yeah. But, but, you know, it, there's a little note at the end of the exercise. He puts a few, try it in two flats, try yes. it in three sharps. Yes. Does anyone do that? No. <laughs> and, unless you've been versed in jazz. You exactly. know, so, so cl class classical flute players, which of course that book was originally aimed at, they're not going to do that unless it's printed out. And so this is what technology has given us the opportunity of doing, yes. is, is, to, is, is to do exactly that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think technology is potentially making learning more varied, more exciting, potentially more interesting, more challenging, but also more rewarding. Because well, if you can play these, you know, I know, like I'll play that, that I mentioned, the, 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 the Moyes 20, first of the 24 um, melodic exercises. Yeah, I'm very happy playing that in all sorts of different keys because it's simple. Yes. You know, uh, as, as a you know, classically trained classical musician, if you were to say, uh, say to me, well, you know, you, know, you mentioned Mozart D major. Well, let, let's yeah, let's shift it up a minor third. Um, you know, I, I, the beads of perspiration would be <laughs> forming heavily before I'd even taken the first breath. Right, right. So, 
you know, it, it, it is what you're used to. But I, 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 you know, I encourage everyone when you, I mean, all the exercises that I write, um, that, I, I mean, most of them tend to be fairly formulaic. And so therefore not, they're, they're quite simple. There tends to be a pattern in them. I mean, I, I might put the odd twist or turn just to trip people up slightly. Right. But but I, I I want I wanted to be something that people are like, oh I enjoy playing that or try it in a different key now. Right. And and the the whole idea is that and, and this is another thing that I want to try and get people to be aware of through simplyflute.com. If we're musicians, we really do have to use our ears. We can't just use our eyes. We've got to use our ears. And that's why also on the website, you know, I've brought in duets so people can play. They can either play the same line as me in a in sort of like a breathing and phrasing sonority style exercise, which will hopefully help them with intonation. Or else they can play a duet with me, in which case they're getting harmony, which, of course, as we all know, single line instruments right. we're deprived of unless we're you're playing with a piano. But I think this is very important that we have you know, the chance to, to hear what else is going on. Right. And, and you've alluded to a number of things on the website. And, and, and for those who have not experienced it, uh, this website is not just about promoting Paul's books or the exercises that he writes weekly, uh, generally for us, uh, but also you, you uh, talk about and demonstrate for instance, some of the, the uh, first book of the Curlis studies, uh, which has been a largely neglected uh, set of uh, important texts in the flute world for years, and you've given that real prominence. Uh, you've also given prominence to a number of uh, composers who we would never have really known much about, uh, Giuseppe Raboni being one of them. And, and you've revised yeah. and edited uh, these two wonderful books. Uh, and you've done a number of, of revisions and editorializations on the website of making music available to us, uh, in addition to the interactive uh, aspects of it, of playing duets with you uh, and of you demonstrating those um, uh, exercises and we can play along with you, which I've done. And I must tell you, it's certainly helpful as a multiple wind player. Uh, coming off an evening of playing four or five instruments, waking up the next morning, picking up the flute, and feeling like you've never played the instrument before. Uh, I can imagine, yes. Because uh, it takes a while for the lips to readjust, to just quiet down, and, and for the muscles, which in many cases work in opposite fashion to a single reed instrument or a double reed instrument. Uh, right. And to that degree, I, I, I would like to, uh, at this point in our interview, uh, talk about two of the exercises that I have found particularly helpful as a, a doubler uh, that I hope our, our listeners and, and perhaps those who have not uh, joined on to simplyflute.com uh, may not know about. Uh, one of these exercises comes from a more recent publication called The Coffee Noodles, uh, and it's a finger exercise. Now, Paul has talked about some of the, the four basic areas uh, that he addresses in his books and in his exercises, but one of the things, certainly, uh, when you're playing uh, a saxophone, a clarinet, an oboe, or a flute, your hands are basically in front of you when you're playing. Now, when we're playing the flute, we're out here, and that puts a completely different strain on our hands, our wrists, and our coordination. And so uh, I have found that practicing, in particular, coffee noodle number four, 
from the coffee noodle book has been particularly helpful to me and i'd like at this time to uh show you a, a little pre-record that paul made of that welcome back to gentle warm-ups to start the day and today we're focusing on coffee noodle four which really is a workout for the fingers because it's a repeated action rocking between the tonic, the second and the third. And this means the fingers in any given bar are being given repeated exercise. Now, this is a brilliant thing to do to gain independence in your fingers. Violinists, cellists, pianists do these exercises in their, in their sleep virtually. And it's something that we have to focus on. Sadly, when we have these exercises, invariably they're not particularly musical. They're just uh, a prison sentence groveling around one or two bars that actually go nowhere. So we're on a journey with this. Uh, once again, start slowly because this is a finger exercise and make sure you connect the notes. Uh, that's very important to do. Follow the dynamics, make a big difference between the major and minor keys and Coffee Noodle 4 should go like this. Another one that Paul has done uh, that I found helpful uh, after sort of reawakening some of the muscles is uh, a breathing and phrasing exercise from another new publication called A, Se a Consequence of Sequences. <laughs> and uh, this is breathing and phrasing exercise number one. And certainly uh, when we're playing flute as doublers, much of the time we have lyrical and uh, beautiful themes to play and or things that are accompanying uh, or in unison with other instruments, but that require us to have a good amount of control over our breathing and certainly our, our phrasing. And so I found this particular exercise helpful to me and I hope you'll find that as well. So this is Paul's breathing and phrasing uh, 
exercise number one from a consequence of sequences. Welcome back to Simply Flute and sequence 13. In this sequence, we're exploring sonority. Now, a lot of people will use a very, very simple shifting of the semitone or a scale passage for their sonority exercise. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But personally, if I'm going to focus on sonority, I want to focus on something that could be a phrase from a bigger piece. And we can really then not just explore the sound, but we can explore the emotion of that, particularly if it's in a minor key, by definition, you know, minor keys are slightly more opaque in a sense than the major keys. And this sequence should go like this. Let's talk also about a recent appointment of yours where you've been appointed a uh, professor of flute at the Royal Academy of Music, um, which is a, a major appointment and something that you certainly are uh, deserving of. Can you fill us in a little bit about that and what, what it's like there and what the pedagogy is that you're uh, bringing to it? Well, it's very interesting because I, you know, I, over the years I've taught at you know, pretty much all of the, the institutions in London. I ended up leaving all of them because my scheduling in those days was was very different to what it is now. Um, you know, before COVID came along, I you know I could be on the road on my own up to about six months of the year, wow. um, and uh, that that just completely disappeared. So you know we're all we're all doing this. We're all reinventing the wheel as far as our our, our work is concerned now. Yes. Um, but the uh, you know. Uh, I so I stopped working at these institutions because it, it just wasn't fair on the students that I was absent so much. Now, uh, you know, completely out of the blue, the, the the principal of the academy got in touch with me uh, in in August and and asked me if I would like to go in to have lunch with him to talk about this this new position. And I've always been a, a firm believer in you know, never turn down a job you've yet to be offered. So, um, uh, so, so I thought, well, you know, it, it, I, I'm very interested to know more. Um, and I feel at a stage of my life now, the, the way things, you know, my, my own life has gone, the, the direction I have taken with my life. 
And um, yeah, I'm I I'm having I'm having such a good time putting all the stuff together for Simply Fluid. I love doing it. I it's 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 taking up different parts of my brain that haven't been used for a long time. And and you know I I've got I've got so many ideas which I can't talk to you about because then people won't be interested. It's got they've <laughs> got to be kept a secret. Um, but there's so much that will be coming in the new year as well. Um, uh, you know, a whole variety of different things. But it's it's um, I I feel that I in I mean I hope it comes across that I enjoy doing what I do, okay, and I enjoy I enjoy teaching. I, I am when when someone on the other end of the information gets a light bulb moment. That's such a rewarding point, um, and and I just I you know if I if in any way I can help someone on their journey with the instrument, but in conjunction with music, um, then I'm going to be happy. And I think it's this thing that, that, that the reason that I am the age I am now and have the gray hair that I have and, 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 and I'm more enthusiastic than ever before is because it's curiosity driven. And to that extent, you know, uh, the, the, the position at the Royal Academy, and I've, I've only got, because I came late into the sort of the fray in terms of uh, uh, allocation of, of numbers. I've right. only got two students there, right. um, but we're, you know, it's been, it's been an incredibly constructive semester. Um, and and it's, I found it interesting. And, and actually I'm finding I'm writing exercises for Simply Flute as a result of the things that we come across in our lessons together. I also wanted to uh, sort of uh, toward the end now of the conversation, just talk about your equipment and the flute, flutes you've played and are playing and, and your thoughts on that, uh, on equipment. I, I, you know, I will play on anything. I don't care what I play on. I, you know, I've had a variety. I've had Muramatsu flutes, I've had Yamaha flutes. The, the flute that I've got on, well, I've got it here actually, but um, you, you can tell that it's, <laughs> It's oh, seen that's, better that's, days. That's, that's the good side. That's, that's the, the good, good side. side. Yeah, um, but I mean, um, the uh, it's a it's a Powell body, but you can see uh, the head joint is quite unusual. I, I don't know if you, if I take it out uh, because this is my design with Chris McKenna. You can see it, the, huh. the the lip plate wraps around. It's a very very long front edge there. Huh. And that's because you can see because I, I can see this because there's a V there. There's a uh -huh. V there of your of your air blowing down like this. And um, I wanted a lip plate that would allow the V to go all the way to its point. Whereas most conventional lip plates stop before that, and that V, that the air drops off the edge, right. drops off the cliff. And all I can say is it works. And I've had this, this is, um, it's a Simply Flute by McKenna head joint. And uh, he recently made one with a gold lip plate, which, which I, I covered because that is just a delight to play. But this one is fantastic. And I've, I've been playing it uh, on all my studio work uh, you know, for the last year now. So Paul, um, I wanted to speak a little bit about uh, the traditional pedagogical texts that 
you still find useful for yourself and that you recommend for students uh, beyond your own creations, your own books and your own exercises? What are those uh, fundamental, wonderful works uh, for flute that you still uh, find endearing? Well, I, I think I, I found myself sort of, I've mentioned it already, finding myself firmly in the 19th century in Italy. So I've, I'm constantly sort of trying to find new material. I think again, you know, I can't remember if I've used the word or, or not so far, but you know, one cr crucial ingredient in all of this is curiosity. And you know, so many of these books were written with, with, with very good intentions. Um, and the, the very fact that someone bothered to put the book together in the first place rather implies to me that there might be something of use in it. So, uh, you know, sometimes it's quite difficult to find what it is of use in these books. But I think if, if you actually, if you start thinking about when it was written, you know, what the flutes were like at, at the time it was written, you know, um, how complicated they were, uh, you know, the Boehm system flute, I think, is easy by comparison with most of the instruments that were immediately before it, because it's, you know, the system is well thought through. Um, so I, I, it's, not, it's not a question I find very easy to answer because I, you know, I was in a flute shop today and I've, I've just bought some Garibaldi that I, 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 I didn't know about. Um, and I'm, I'm, so I'm sort of you know, salivating, looking forward to getting stuck into that. Um, I, I think the, you know, the, the, the books, um, I, I, you know, I really think that the, the Moyes 24 and 25, uh, they should be in every flute player's armory. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the more, the more complicated books like Sussman and Berbigier should also be there. Um, and I, you know, it's one thing I point out in my own, my own books is, is that, yes, okay, I've written these exercises, but it isn't rocket science to write an exercise. And surely if there's something, you know, we all know what our weaknesses are, that if you can actually think about writing your own exercises, you know, it could be a finger one. Well, I, I knew from playing the Poulenc Sonata that, you know, these, these four fingers were, 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 were not going to do exactly what I wanted them to do. Um, and, and so I wrote exercises that would, would sort of over a period of time. And that, that's another thing to emphasize, you know, the reason why I'm still playing the flutes is because there are things, there's always something to improve. And I think, I think I, you probably know this one, but Pablo Casals was practicing his scales aged 90. And someone said, yeah, why do you still practice your scales? He says, because I think I might be improving. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and that, that's great. That's the whole thing about this. Yeah, there's, there's, and I think it's the beauty of what we do. Yes. There is no final point. There's always something new to do, and you know now having left orchestras and and you know sort of finding myself in the middle of the countryside, I'm I'm more enthused about what I can do with the flute than I've ever been in my life. That's so great. The only sad thing is the clock's ticking away. Well, <laughs> keep that three hundred year old clock under cloak when you're practicing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is Tafnel Gobert fall into those categories? Oh, Tafnel, yeah. I mean, you know, 
you, I mean, so, sorry to have forgotten Taffana and Gobo, but I mean, biblical status there as well. You know, I mean, it's 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 a uh, it's a book that everyone should have. And the other ones I love are the Reichert, um, and those those in many ways have been quite the inspiration uh, behind quite a lot of the stuff I've done because it's this whole thing of going through different keys, yes. but also not just an exercise, a journey. And I know that an exercise should be a journey, but it's so much easier when something is written in such a way that you feel you're going to a point and coming away again, or, or the point is the end. You know, I, I say to my students, there are only three things that you need to remember when you're, when you're playing a piece of music or an exercise. Number, and I get them to write it down. I say, number one, always play with shape. I write that down. Number two, always play with shape. I write that down. Number three, always play with shape. I said, I've said it three times. You've written it down three times. There's a sporting chance you'll remember it once. Right. Yes. <laughs> but but uh, it's easier to say and write down, but it's that knowing what the shape is and creating the shape, that's the life journey. So often I hear, you know, flute players talking about, you know, the new head joint or something like that. And they'll say, um, oh, is it loud? You know, <laughs> the, the only thing about it is it, you know, how loud can it be? And of course, the flute, by definition, is not a loud instrument. Right. But boy, does it have some special textures when it's very quiet. <laughs> and it's like, you know, yes. the, you know, which is the best, you know, if there's such a thing as a good octave on the piccolo, it's the bottom octave because it's just got a very sensuous sound. Yeah. And the other two octaves are just to sort of, you know, frighten young children and scare off wild animals. <laughs> That's funny, but, um, you know, it's true what you're saying. And, and the, the truth of the matter is orchestras over the last, let's say 50, 75 years from mid 20th century have gotten louder. Uh, brass sections definitely playing louder. Uh, well, they got because they, they, they're they're bigger bore instruments. Yes, and you as know, a result, string sections are much right. larger than they used to be. They're larger and playing at a higher pitch. Many and and so all of that creates more volume and beyond you know a disturbance. And the end result is the Paul Woodwinds feel like they have to match up, and that sometimes gets away from the most beautiful. Uh, parts of the woodwind instrument family in each instrument in the family um so the, the 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 difficulty is in not trying to make the flute sound like a trumpet uh yeah. you know and as we go towards that direction you're right we lose something and then of course you you, you pull out a louis lot or a bonneville and then you realize oh that's what it was uh so yeah. you, you come back and try to find something in the middle to be able to be representative. But um, yeah, I, 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 you know, the teacher I studied with on uh, flute the most and who was the most uh, influential was a fellow named Tom Neifinger. And Tom's whole focus was on the amount of colors, I mean, not whole focus, but the main focus on colors and, and creating different textures in playing the flute. And um, yeah. he was a little aghast, uh, even toward the end of his life, which was you know, well over 30 years ago now. Um, no, that was not that was not attractive to him. And um, I don't find it attractive, quite frankly, I, I, like you said, finding the nuances of the sound of the instrument of the subtleties that that's, yeah. I think, 
players like yourself have done that for us and uh you know serve as the model for that and that's what uh, that's what it needs to be i hope um and certainly uh, for multiple woodwind players watching this video that's not what we're asked to do we're asked to yeah. become as representative of wonderful flute playing in a generic sense sure and um to that extent to that extent um it's important to have as references superb flute playing both orchestral chamber music solo in our ears to be able to pull that out of the hat as soon as we pick up the instrument uh, and that's where some some people like and people like yourself and going to simplyflute.com where we have all these references right there and and by the way I didn't mention on your site that you've put on a number of recordings uh, solo recordings of yourself over the years that have not been issued uh, you know on CDs or so forth that are available to those who sign up only and and you know when I hear you play the uh, Bach Partita uh, Telemann Fantasies and uh, things like that it, it's wonderful. These are oh, wonderful brilliant. ways to rekindle that concept for us, especially those of us who are multiple wind players, of what we're striving for. So um, I hope that gets through to our, our viewers. Uh, and, oh, I, I hope so too. I, I, I tell you something, you know, because uh, over the years I, I, you know, I have suffered from nerves quite a lot, you know, performance anxiety. But what I, you know, I've, I've tried various ways around it. Um, uh, I mean, it's mind over matter for me. And if, if I'm in the right zone, then it's fine. But um, one thing that's helped immensely, and it's one thing, it's, it's, it's part of my general approach to what I do now, um, particularly if it's performance related or it's, it's repertoire related. You know, I, before I start you know, to play a single note, I'll say to myself, okay, do something you've never done before with this piece. So I'm already sending myself on a journey of exploring to see how I can actually shape things, uh -huh. sculpt things in a different way. And of course, because you're actually thinking much more about the music, you're, you're less, less self-centered focused. Interesting. And I, and I found that very, I found that very helpful, you know, just to, and I, I've, I've sort of passed this on to, quite a few students. I say, when I walk out on the stage, I'm not thinking there's an audience out. I'm thinking, oh, that first opening phrase of the Poulenc Sonata. Yes. Mm, maybe, maybe I can do something that, you know, something a bit different with it. And so your, your, your mind's taken away. Uh, I, 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 that's interesting. It removes you from the, from the moment and, and yeah. you went into, into another conscious level. Before we end, I wanted to just ask you about something, uh, because you're, you're very big on talking about the use of the fingers and our weak fingers. And I saw you uh, at a uh, online clinic talk about doing like little finger exercises like this, right. especially yes. for our weak fourth and fifth fingers and uh, how valuable that is. And of course, it, it looks easy, but to try to do that and not hit any finger just moving one finger around without touching the other not so easy if you're doing on the fourth and fifth fingers so can you definitely yeah yeah, yeah. if you have any other ones beside this i'd love to see them but can you talk a little bit about um, your recognition of the fourth and fifth fingers and the long b flat again about how valuable these things are for us i i think with fingers i mean you know again the all the finger exercises came about because i you know, yes 
there there are exercises in the Moyes books that deal with this, but they are very boring. Um, and I, I just, I, you know, if you've got the mindset for that kind of, you know, very monotonous exercise, fantastic. I don't have that mind. You know, I start thinking about, you know, is there enough, you know, is there enough milk to have a cup of coffee and things like that. <laughs> so, so, so I think one has to be honest, brutally honest about one one's own capabilities. I mean, there's no point in telling a student to do something if they there's no chance of them actually being able to engage with it. So I, I think it's it, it's you know it's an important thing to to remember. Um, but you know we know that the muscles in the hand that close are stronger than the ones that open from a very early age. We you know we might be falling. We're going to reach out to stop ourselves falling. You know we shove we pick up food and feed ourselves. So we're, we're very used to the closing action. You know, if you're playing a musical instrument, you're having to, you know, a, a, you know woodwind, uh, woodwind instrument, you're having to use multiple fingers on multiple keys. I mean, you know, I think the flute's bad enough. I mean, if you look at the keys on a bassoon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you and, know, and the spread. And, and, yeah. yeah, and the spread as well. Um, so, but, but I mean, what is so true is that, you know, we, we talk so much about the, the, the finger going down. But of course, the, the muscles that open the hands, they're only going to open quickly if you pick up something hot or sharp. So that's a reflex action. Right. We're not instinctively opening our hands quickly, which if you want to have you know, a, a, a solid technique in, on, on, on any woodwind instrument, you have to have the facility to be able to lift the finger smoothly and you know, in a disciplined way. Um, but of course, it's not just lifting the finger, it's how far you lift it. So there needs to be control in that as well, because you know, the further you lift it away, the further it's got to come back. And if you want to play something, if you want to play Flight of the Bumblebee quicker than anyone else, you're going to be in trouble. Right. So the, the, there's a, the sort of the, the motor of the fingers fascinates me. And of course, we know that those four are the, the property of Satan. Yes, and they've 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 been they've been sent to disrupt our our endeavors on 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 woodwind instruments. Yes, um, so yeah, we can never get those to be as strong as the, the, these two, but but we can actually strengthen them up to actually operate you know in in a a, a more precise uh, precise manner. Um, so I, I I think it's one of those things that that you know. Uh, I'm every day I'm doing finger exercises to develop that strength. I will, however, never do anything that hurts my hands right. because in there lies danger. So I think, you know, we, we all, you know, a lot of people talk about repetitive strain now and yes, it's there, but that's because of the tensions that we put into it. Obviously in certain cases, there are physical reasons for it as well, but as a general rule of thumb, these these issues come about because we're, we're operating in an unhealthy way. And so in wrapping this up, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what's the future, what you're looking towards in the future for yourself and for the website as well? Well, I'm uh, I mean, you know, I, I feel slightly like a, 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 a child in a toy shop. With life at the moment, because I, I'm I, I'm looking around me and seeing so much potential material that could be used. So it's sort of it's narrowing it down to the the material I think that will will provide 
the the the, the best experiences for for the subscribers. Um, uh, you know, there, there are. You know, I still think you know, even though a lot of material has gone onto the site, the, the, yeah, we're we're refining it as we go. Um, and, uh, you, you know, there will be a, a whole load of new material coming up on it. Uh, I've, I've, I'm enjoying writing and I'm enjoying challenging myself to be original. Uh, and, uh, but, but it, you know, one can't reinvent the wheel, but one can at least, uh, you know, sort of, I, I'm trying to sort of create a you know, a modern day method in the end, uh, but I want it I want it to be I, I want it to be interesting and I want it to be engaging and I want it to be enjoyable. I can't possibly tell you the projects that are in the pipeline because uh, they're going to be kept secret until they're launched. Okay. Um, but they will. There'll be a combination of duets um, and also sort of uh, various new. Uh, takes on certain types of exercises. Right. So I just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly stretching myself, which I just love doing. And it, it, it's, uh, I, I went to my, my local 15th century pub a few days ago, and I met up with some local people and they, they said, why did you become a flute player? And I said, because I didn't feel like working for a living. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 and I bet you they drank to that. <laughs> they drank to that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, but but the truth is, as we know, the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes for all of us is enormous. And, oh, it's uh, colossal. Yeah, and you know, you know, I, I, I it, it would be if if people realized you know, the the true meaning of preparation for a musician. Uh, they, 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 they wouldn't go anywhere near it, you know, no. it's sort of like they think, oh, we, we just roll up because we, yeah. we've got nothing better to do. Yeah, the typical response is, oh, it must, I think I said this with Elizabeth Rowe in, on, on an earlier uh, interview. Uh, oh, it must be so much fun to play music for a living as if it's, you know, yeah. nothing. You roll well, I, I was, I was uh, funny enough, I was, up in, I was up in Liverpool Cathedral with Paul McCartney and the London Symphony Orchestra um, playing his, he, he wrote a requiem, which, oh, yes. which we, uh, we recorded. And, and, uh, and, it is, and it is a requiem. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and so, so in the interval of the, of the concert, I, I was just you know, walking off stage and two elderly women came up to me and, and, and thanked me for giving up an evening to come up to Liverpool to play to them. <laughs> Oh boy, it never ends, does it? <laughs> no, no, no. Those stories could go on for endlessly. Yeah, yeah. But by, by the way, how many? Just I, I didn't think about this earlier, but how many uh, people are actually members of uh, Simply Flute? Do you have Do you have a j rough number? I, 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 I have no idea. No, I, I, the, the, I. There are only two of us uh, working on the site currently. Right. Um, and um, and and uh, Pasha Mansarov, who who does all the technical side, he's right. he's uh, he knows what's going on there. But uh, right. no, I have no idea what's what's happening on that front. Right. Well, I'm sure you, it, it, I'm sure there are many thousands of followers, and there should be. And and I hope. Well, they, they, we'll, we'll always welcome more. Yes, and I hope there will be <laughs> more as a result of this interview who will come on and and join and uh, take advantage of your generosity and your years of experience. 
and uh, uh, providing us with so much more information and uh, inspiration. So, well, I, I think it's it's a very simple thing. We, what we do with you know, if people to, uh, you know, subscribe for the sixty dollars for a year, um, they got forty eight hours to explore the site, and if they don't like it, they just take their their, their, their credit card away. So. Right. You know, and they don't get charged. They get they get two free days. Yeah, right. It'll take them a lot longer than two days to wade through all oh, that. You bet. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, no, the amount of information is enormous. Uh, this is not something you can uh, really appreciate in a couple of hours or a couple of days. I mean, this is uh, it's a it's a, an invaluable tool, and I hope that it might inspire others to do it on other instruments as well. But uh, I, I don't know if that's going to be the case because you're in a unique position, um, you know, and uh, you took it upon yourself uh, to, to, to do this. And uh, I can't thank you enough, uh, my friend. Oh, brilliant. It's, it's great. Brilliant. And um, if you wouldn't mind hanging on a little bit after we conclude uh, our session here now and, and thank you again and uh, much luck in the future and good luck with your teaching at the Royal Academy. And uh, I hope it's very fruitful. Thank you so much, Ed. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank, thank you, Paul.